welcome everyone. Good to see you guys tonight. And uh, if you're listening online, we're glad you're there as well. We are uh, in a just we started a, a short little series. Um, just it's only going to be three weeks. Uh, it was last week, this week. So you're right in the middle of it. And we had talked. Um, just about this idea of preparing uh, for Christmas that I kind of wanted to share the same message. And it's not the, uh, for three weeks in a row, but it's not the exact same message. It's just the thought behind it is the same. And so uh, as we are preparing for Christmas, many of you are preparing for Christmas. You have, what is it, seven, eight days left, um, five shopping days maybe. Uh, and so for many, you know, you're looking for the perfect gift. I don't know. Uh, for others, you know, you're looking for the perfect deal, uh, you know, Cyber Monday or, or Black Friday or whatever it is. Some looking for the perfect Christmas tree, some looking for the perfect Christmas sweater. Uh, I got an amazing one given to me this week. I will probably possibly wear it next week, so it's actually worth coming just to see that sweater. So, uh, uh, but the other thought too, and we've been, this is what we've been talking about, you know, when you're looking for all this stuff, this, I, this thought of looking for Jesus in this season as well, uh, is that something that that we uh, see around us? Is there people that are looking for Jesus? Uh, and what we said last week is that there are people looking for Jesus who don't realize that they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for something uh, in, their, in their heart. They're, they're searching for something. They just don't realize it's Him. Uh, and so we talked about wanting to be the church that's looking for people that, that are looking for Jesus, even though they don't realize they're looking for Him. I know that's a little confusing, so I'll say it again. We want to be the church that's looking for people who are looking for Jesus, even though they don't realize they're looking for Him, which it requires some intention on our part. And that's what we've been uh, talking about uh, and wanting to work with, with you guys is that next week for our Christmas um, Eve and Christmas Day services, not that it would just be, oh, we're going to go out and it'd be nice to hang out with the Kingsway family. That's always fun to do. But to, to, to be more intentional about that and think there's people around me that, that are looking for Jesus and they, they may not know it, but I'm going to invite them. I'm going to just, I'm going to put it out there. And chances are they'll say yes, because most people, you know, there's, well, many people will, they won't go to church very often, but they'll go, they'll go on Christmas and Easter. So it's a good chance if you've never invited anybody, and we never actually tell people to invite, we've never, I don't think we've ever told people to invite someone to church, because you are the church, and wherever you are is that, but to invite them to the family get-together for that day, it, with the hopes that it might be eternally, um, eternally beneficial for them. So uh, t- tonight, just wanted to share a little bit about that. Get that stirring up in your heart like it's stirring in mine. Um, so my question, last week I was talking about, you know, have if, if you ever looked for something and you didn't know what it was that you were looking for until you found it? And it was that big stick that was in the engine of my car. We, we were talking about that last week. Bob DeVries said that was his stick. And so he's here tonight. Uh, and unfortunately, he, he wanted it back, but it got tossed. But that there was a... Oh, there you go, Bob. You can pick it up on your way out. But, um, you know, have you, so last week we were like, have you ever been looking for something, but you didn't know what it was until you found it? Tonight, you know, have you ever been looking for something, you know what it is, and, and you can't find it? It's like, uh, uh, for me, but I'm going to say me is like, the sh- is like the short form for men, right? So just add an N. But for me, it's like looking in the fridge to find stuff. I don't know if any other men here have the same problem, but you go to the fridge, your wife says something is in there, you get there, and you can't find it. It's like, it doesn't matter what it is. The chocolate bar, the ketchup, you look like, it's not in there. We are out. And she's like, she comes up, and she pulls it out, and she's like, it was right behind the milk. I have some friends of mine who, she just responds that way to everything now. He's like, honey, have you seen my jeans? They're behind the milk. Because every single time, this guy is like, he cannot find anything. And you know what's really interesting is, once you, once you go and, and you look in the fridge and realize that it was there, 
we realized it was always there, but someone had to show me. So Beth, you know, she has to show me. It was, the ketchup was there. I just couldn't see it until she showed it to me. And so I, I figure if I do it wrong enough times, she'll stop asking. But still, we're working on that. But, you know, have you ever, have you ever looked for something and uh, you, weren't, you knew what it was, but you couldn't find it? Have you ever looked at something and uh, you, you knew it was there, you just couldn't see it? You know, like those books, have you ever seen those, like those books where you stare at a picture of like all this garbly gook and there's supposed to be an astronaut in there drinking coffee on a train and you're like, I, I can't see it. And it's like, it's 3D and you put your nose really close and you pull them back. I was going to try it on the screen, but then I thought people will run to the stage and put their noses up against the screen and we're like, you know what, you, there's, it's, 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 it's so difficult. But as you look, all of a sudden, there'll be that moment. If you've ever had the successful uh, experience of seeing what was in there, it's all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I can see the tower, I can see the train, I can see whatever it is. And it's like that exciting moment of realizing, I can see it. The truth is, though, it was always there before you saw it or not. And so, you know, there's this, there this thought, something was always there, but for some, someone has to show them. The other is always there, but you just haven't seen it yet. And the power of the Christmas story, not just the Christmas story, the power of it, is something, it's one of those moments. There are many people who can have heard the Christmas story, but they've not seen it yet. They, 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 you know, we know the power that's behind that story, and yet there's others who have not seen it. There's others who've heard, you know, and that's why they're coming on Christmas sometimes. Like, that's what I got to do, but they've never, see, they've never seen it yet. Uh, U2, um, Bono from U2, one of my favorite bands, has that song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And so that's been the thing on my heart is that we have people all around us looking for something and they're not sure what it is. And for some, they need someone to show them. And for others, once they see it, they'll realize that it was always there. The Christmas story is full of people who are looking for Jesus. They were looking for Jesus. Many of them didn't realize that that's what they were doing. They had different reasons why they were looking for Jesus, different motives for it, and they had different responses to it. And it's really, it's an amazing story. The Christmas story is incredibly amazing. It's not just because, you know, the story of Mary and Joseph trying to find a place to, to sleep that night and wondering, you know, how did we get pregnant? And like, that's not, that's not the, you know, the whole story. The, the amazing part of that story is that, that he was promised thousands of years earlier. We don't think in thousands of years, but picture this. I was talking with somebody this week about that. Picture yourself for a minute um, writing a story. And you're like, I'm going to write a story about, uh, I don't know, a cat named Cletus who uh, is in love with a bird. And, you know, uh, in the end, him and the bird are the best of friends. And so you begin to write this story. And you write some of it down, and then you put that away for a while. And now then years later, you know, your grandchild is sitting there and they're like, you know what, I'm going to write this story. I think, you know, grandma said something about it and starts writing a little bit of the story as well. And they write their kind of version. And then hundreds of years later, after all those people are gone, a new generation rises up and they begin to write stories about, you know, this, this cat named Cletus. And, and, and after 2,000 years, somebody finds all these pieces in different places and puts them together and realizes it's the same story. It's one story all the way through. All these different writers, all pinpointing to the spot where, where this, this event happens. And it's it, incredibly amazing when you think about that, that that's just not possible. That's, that is on the, the, the scale of miraculous. And like, well, I don't know if I can believe in miracles, but it is that miracle that makes this story so believable. The fact that, how do you explain how all of that could happen? All of these promises that go back to David, back to Abraham, and back to even to, to Adam. One story written by many different people, pointing to one moment. All of that was pointing to this moment where the Savior of the world would arrive. 
pointing to that spot where saying, this, look for this. It's coming. It's going to happen. There's, there's somebody coming. There's a king coming after there had been no kings in Israel for, for years and years and years. There's a king coming. And they realized it. And so many people wrote about the events when Jesus was born. When the Savior of the world was born, many people wrote about it. Many still write about it. But I just want to look at two of those writers today. And, and they're both uh, uh, writers whose, um, whose letters or whose uh, documents were included in, the, in what we know to be the Bible, included in the New Testament. One was a guy named Luke. And Luke, was he wrote, he wrote uh, just because he was concerned that um, people would have an, an accurate account of what happened. He's like, I'm writing it down. And what I'm most concerned about is that you guys have the facts. And then there was another guy named Paul, and Paul wrote about the same events, but he was most concerned about not what happened, but why it happened. And so I want to look at the Christmas story a little bit tonight, but I want you to look at it from a, from a different angle. And, I want, and we're going we're gonna to show you that angle at the end, so just, just listen carefully. Luke chapter 2, verses 8. Luke is writing this, and he's, he's writing down the facts of what, of what happened. He went and talked to everyone who was eyewitnesses that he could find, and he began to write this down. He says this, the night that Jesus was born, in verse 8, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. They were guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. This was not like a planned evening out, right? These guys were like, you know, we're going to work. That's it. They, they were not expecting it to be any different than it's always been. We go to work. It's the night shift. You know, we're going to hang out with the sheep, and hopefully none of them die before the day shift guys get here. That's the plan. And then suddenly something else happens. Suddenly there's angels everywhere. Suddenly this one speaks to them, and they are terrified. Because they weren't planning to think about these things that night. They were just going to do their regular routine and their regular life. It says this, but the angel reassured them and said, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news. I'm bringing you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. In different versions, it says that Christ the Lord has been born uh, in, the, in Bethlehem, the city of David. And he says, and you'll recognize him by, these, by this sign. You will find him. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly that angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. It says, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks after that, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, because it was just as the angel had told them. And tonight I wanted to think about a few things, and we talked about some of them last week. The hearers, the people who heard the message. There were some who were unaware of the fact that Jesus was coming. Last week we talked about one of the wanderers who was, you know, they were with Jesus, and then all of a sudden they weren't with Jesus. And I want to look at those stories again from a different angle tonight. The hearers. Who were the, and I don't even know if that's a word, the hearers, but the people who heard the message. There was different ones in that time who heard the message. The shepherds, like I said, they, were, they weren't planning on hearing a message that night. Maybe you came to church and you thought, hey, I plan to hear somebody talk. But tonight, my heart and the hope is that you'll hear something right in here that you're like, I wasn't expecting that. I was going to come to church and, you know, listen to the songs and I'll text and play Angry Birds while Mark's talking and, you know, whatever, maybe something will happen. But you know, then all of a sudden something grabs 
your heart. That's, that's what happened to these guys that night. They heard the good news that the Savior of the world had arrived, that he was Christ the Lord, the Messiah, that this wasn't just, just a sa- any other Savior. This was, this was Christ. This was God on, on the planet, Emmanuel, God with us. And so many would hear the, the good news from that point. Do you know Matthew, when Matthew tells a story about the, the Christmas story, he talks about the wise men. So the, the, the shepherds, they heard this verbal message Go, I've got good news. The Savior's arrived. And they went. The, 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 the um, wise men, they see a star rising in the east. And through their study, they realize that star means that, they're, that the Savior of the world is somewhere on this planet. We've got to go find him. And so they were prompted by something on, uh, that they saw. And they went looking for him. And so it, then it tells us in, in Matthew that the wise men got to Israel and to, to Jerusalem. They met with King Herod. If you've heard the Christmas story at all, you know this story. He says, hey, where, where's this child? You know, what, tell me about this child. And they said, well, we saw his star. We know he's coming or he's here and we've come to worship him. And it says in Matthew that Herod was deeply disturbed. This news affected him. It, deep down in his heart, he's like, ah, the, the savior of the world is here. That bothers me. That bothers me that there's a new king on the planet because I'm the king. I don't want another king on this planet. And so he says to them, he says to the wise men, you guys go search out for that child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him. And if you do any kind of, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you don't, but if you ever do Greek study, you study how the words are written, the wise men said, we've come to worship him. And that was like, a, it, that is like a, in, the, in the voice of saying, this action is going to happen. We are going to find him and we are going to worship him. Herod, using the exact same words, was like, a maybe it'll happen. You guys go find him so that I might worship him. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe that won't. And a lot of times you never, you never think about that, but his hard attitude was already being revealed in just the way that he said something. And it says that later on, later on, all of these people who heard that message that the, the, the in that early time, they'd all find out what we already know. And we all know because it's written in the, in the Bible and we've read it and we've heard the story that Jesus would one day die on a cross, that this savior of the world wasn't going to be a revolutionary um, military savior, but he was going to die on a cross and that he would rise from the dead three days later. This was not, nothing that any of them had ever seen. And hundreds of people would see him alive and be, be the ones to say, we've seen him alive from the dead. And then they would say that Jesus told us to go and tell everyone that we ever meet, everyone we can find, that he died for them, that it was their sins he died for, that they could find forgiveness of sin in him and to turn from sin and to follow him. And so that's exactly what they did. And those disciples, we know that they told people all over Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We know that if you studied Acts with us, that that's where they went. And they began telling this message, Jesus, the Savior, not only was born, God came to the planet and he died for you. He died so that you could have forgiveness of your sin. And so there was hearers. And tonight there's hearers. As you hear those words, those words are the same gospel message, the same good news that was told to those people thousands of years ago. And they're said again tonight, and they still have that same power. But there was a different response. And, and that's what I really wanted to bring your attention to tonight, is that there's a different response. Because each and every person has that opportunity to respond. And they didn't respond the same way. You look at the shepherds. We read those words, and you saw them. Hopefully they were in yellow on the screen. Their response was that they hurried to Bethlehem. They said, you know, when they heard the message, they're like, let's go see for ourselves. You know, my, my question for you tonight is, 
has faith and has this message of Jesus and has Christmas just, is it just a part of the year? Or is it something that you said, no, I have looked into it for myself? Is it something like, hey, I've heard messages about it, I've heard people talk about it, sung songs about it? Or have you said, no, I, I had to go see, I had to go find out if this Jesus being born, being the Savior of the world was real. I had to find out for myself. The shepherds did. And they hurried and they ran to find out. And it was um, um, this, this uh, difference that from their response to others. The wise men, too, they found that, you know, having to travel miles and miles and miles was worth it to find out if it was true for themselves. It didn't matter what it cost them. They were going to find out for themselves. Herod, we see, was deeply disturbed, but he didn't go to find out for himself. He said, now you guys go find out and you tell me. You tell me. The religious leaders who the, who apostles, the disciples spoke to later and said, you know what? He died for your sins. They refused it as well. They refused to believe the disciples that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. But we read the story in Acts chapter 2 of how Peter shared the truth and said, you know what? This story is not just a story. This is what really happened. And the people who heard Peter speak, it says they were cut to the heart. They're like, a man died for, for my sins. What, what do I do? What do I need to do? And he said to them, you know, you need to turn from sin, believe in Christ and follow him, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And follow this man named Christ who God proved was, was the Messiah by raising him from the dead. And those, that kept happening. Some would refuse, some would embrace. And it reached this man named Paul. There was a guy named Saul. Actually, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And he uh, persecuted the church. Everybody who believed in this man named Jesus, he was so against it because he was so zealous for the Old Testament scriptures. He studied the Old Testament f- with his whole life. And he realized that what, you know, that was what he was so zealous for. And this Jesus was going to wreck all of that. And then something happened. He met Jesus, and all of a sudden he looked at the Old Testament, and he realized, wait a second, it was always there. I just had never seen it. Everything points to Jesus, and he realized that he had just discovered something that Holy Spirit had showed him, and he had let everyone else know. It was always there throughout the Old Testament, through all of time. It was pointing to this moment, but they hadn't seen it. And so Paul wrote to the gr- a group of Gentiles in a place called Colossae, and he explained why it happened. And that town was in modern-day Turkey. It's a real place. There was real people there. And he said this in Colossians 1.26, This message, it was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. It was like looking into that picture that you couldn't see it. It was just like everything looked garbled until all of a sudden that clarity of that 3D image was, this is why it was, this is why it was happened. God has revealed himself. He revealed this is not like another prophet. This is God on the planet. In Colossians chapter 1, earlier on in verse 15, he said this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? It was like people were having a hard time knowing, how do I follow, the, how do I follow a God I can't see? How do I believe in this, this spirit? Everyone else has idols. They've got their carved images. How do I believe in something I can't see? And so he said, you know, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He's supreme over all creation. And then in verse 19, he says this, For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, that Christ was fully God. And it says, And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace. There's that word again, peace, with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes you. You who were once far away from God, you who were his enemies. That's a strong word. 
He said, you were separated from him. Why? By your evil thoughts and actions, that thing called sin. You were separated. There was no, there was a wall between. He says, but yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he's brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And for those of you who are followers of Christ and you read that last thing, it just lights you up inside and you realize that is who I am in, in Christ, that I'm holy and blameless because of what Jesus has done. And yet, you know what? I know because I listen and I hear people talk that for so many people who sit in churches, they don't feel like that. Holy, faultless, blameless. They don't feel that at all. They feel shameful. They feel guilty. They feel like the, you know, that there's, there's this, this heaviness on them. As you begin to think about some of these things, they're like, you know, I, I don't feel like, like that describes. There's something, there's, there's a different sense. And, you know, there feels like there's this separation from God. And so, you know, the, the hearers back then in, in Colossians, Paul was letting them know, this is who you are. For t- today, there may be hearers here, and I believe there's two different kinds. There's hearers here. The first one is you've never really given your life to Christ. You know, uh, Christmas and Easter, maybe you'll go to church, but it's not it's not, you've never d- decided to put your trust in him, that you trust your life in the same way that I would say, I'm going to trust myself to, that this chair is going to hold me. I'm transferring my weight to this, my eternity, my life, my purpose, my meaning, everything. I'm putting it, I'm putting all that trust in, in a risen Savior. You've never done that. And so you sit in church, but you, you, know, you, you hope that by sitting there long enough, maybe, maybe you'll get to heaven someday. You know? But the same thing we always say, you can sit in Tim Hortons, you're not turning into a donut. You can sit here, you're not going to turn into you know, a Christian. It, it doesn't work um, that way. But it does, there, there, there was a way that Christ made it work. And he, there was a reason why God sent his son to the planet. And it was you. It was you. It was me. And for those who felt far from God, who had no peace in their heart, maybe that's you tonight. You think about death. You think about what happens after this. And it's like, I don't want to think about that because it agitates me. Like, I, I don't know what happens. I, and I don't really want to know. I, it's scary to me. He said, you could have peace. There would be peace on earth. And we look around and for some have said, you know, peace on earth. There's all kinds of war still happening. Obviously, Jesus didn't do anything. He wasn't talking about that kind of peace. He was talking about in the midst of storms that there is a peace right here, that there's something there that just knows, that knows, that knows that the God who raised Jesus from the dead, I can put my trust in him and it matters. For many of us, you know, you sit in church and you realize, you know, I really haven't lived up to God's standards. But forget about that for a second. For some, you realize you haven't lived up to your own standards. You know, there's things that you've done, you're like, ugh, you know, I'm not that kind of person. I wouldn't do this, this, and this, and yet you've done it. And you've hurt others, and you've hurt yourselves, and you've hurt this person. There's this brokenness and hurt all around. And that's the, that's the, that's the causes or the, uh, the fruits of sin in our lives. And all of that builds this wall between us and God. And, and you can feel it. It's that separation. And you don't think about it very often until times like this. It's like awkward. And you're like, that's why I only go on Christmas and Easter, because it's so awkward. But the good news, the good news is that in that wall of separation, he put a door. 
named Jesus. He didn't require us to take down every block in that wall that we put up. He simply said, I've just created a way through. I'm inviting you into relationship with me. You no longer have to be separated from him. You no longer have to stay on the side where you'll feel judgment because as a son, just come on home. You can turn from the life that you've been living and you can experience real life with me. And so he revealed himself in Jesus and he's shown just how much he loves you. When he sent Jesus to the cross, it was a demonstration of love. You know, we don't know. Love has to be demonstrated to be understood and received. You can say, I love you, but talk's cheap, right? People say, hey, I love you, I care about you, and then you need something for them. Oh, I can't really, I'm busy. You know, I got to watch reruns of Gilmore Girls. It's like, there's, you're like, oh, I guess, you know, you see sacrifice. When you see a parent, they, they sacrifice for their kids because they love them. And here's this ultimate sacrifice of love that well, we were still sinners and didn't deserve it. He gave his life for us on the cross. It's incredible. It's incredible. He was willing to lay down his life for us before we'd ever even heard of him. And maybe today you weren't planning to think about that. Maybe today you're like, ah, just, I'm just gonna, it's a normal day. It's just never another, it's another Saturday, another Saturday night. But now you're thinking about it. And as a hearer, my challenge and my question to you is what will your response be? If you feel like you're in that spot where you're like, I'm not the one who's like connected with God and I feel like the shame, I feel guilt and I feel all of that stuff, what will your response be? He says you can leave that all behind and follow him. You can find out for yourself. You don't have to trust that a priest is going to be the mediator for you or that, you know, you hopefully did enough good deeds or anything like that. You can know for yourself. The shepherd said, I'm going to find out. The wise man said, I'm going to find out. Herod said, you know what, I'm just going to put that away for the, the religious leader said, ah, I don't really want to know about that. What will your response be? Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, and I, I believe this speaks to a different set of hearers tonight. The ones who, you, you know, you're a follower of Christ or, or you may have once been. It says in this, Paul said, but you must continue to believe this truth. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. The thought behind this tonight is this, that there are wanderers who drift away from faith. And, you know, a lot of times we're like, oh, how do you know if people have drifted away from faith? Uh, for, for many for many, it's, it's you know, the, that as you've gone through life, you've, you've, you, maybe you went to church at one time, maybe you had a, a belief in Jesus at one time, but right now you don't. Right now, it's like, you know, I, wouldn't, I can't say that that's um, uh, uh, something that's alive in my life. And it's like you, the, the, the story of the, uh, the lost son from last week, we talked about how he left home. He walked away, and he found out that it wasn't, wasn't all that great. And for those, I mean, there's many who've walked away from from uh, faith, or they've walked away from church, they've walked away from things, and they feel like they got really valid reasons. And I would agree that for some of you, you feel there's very valid reasons. Maybe for you, you're like, you know, it's just too much hypocrisy in the church. These people, they think they, you know, that they're perfect, and you know, I know how they live. I see them at work. But people who claim to be perfect don't understand what Christian means. Never was there a thought that we would claim to be perfect, ever. It was this idea that Jesus did it for us because we couldn't do it. And for some, it's this thing of, you know, that's, that's, this hypocrisy bothers you. But there's no hypocrisy in Jesus. It has nothing to do with him. Maybe for you it's bad experience. You know, you went to a church and it wasn't good for you. Somebody said something, somebody did something. But let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever had a bad haircut? 
you know? Yeah. So I remember I tell my kids this. My kids always want me to tell these dad stories, like my, when I was a little kid stories. And so I told them the time when I was, I believe, about 12 years old. My dad would cut my hair when I was a child. And so um, he, was cutting my, he was cutting my hair. And then all of a sudden these people showed up and said, hey, it's time to go to Crusaders, which was like the youth group of our day. And so I was like, I got to go. And he's like, well, I'm not quite done the haircut. And I looked in the mirror. I was like, it looks good enough to me. I'm going. And so I went to uh, Crusaders and went to the whole thing. And I came back home. And then uh, as they looked, they realized that dad had cut one sort of half of the head and but not the other half and so it was like half a haircut and was like man you know those people that think what new style this kid create but but it was like you know had a bad haircut but how many of you if you've had a bad haircut you still went to the hairdresser again after that you might have gone to a different hairdresser but you didn't say forget it i'm not going to i'm just going to let my hair grow till eternity for some of you you've had a bad experience in a church somewhere why would you give up on that in the same way that you you wouldn't give up I go in a hairdresser. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant and you had a bad meal? I went a couple of years ago with Beth, and I, I was biting into a hamburger, and I bit, and I, it, was, it was fine. I mean, there's, all of a sudden, as I, as I looked at the thing, there was the cheese was gone, but the paper that held the cheese was still in the burger. And I'm like, that's pro- the wax paper's probably not supposed to be there. And I asked them, and they're like, well, we'll give you uh, $5 off if you come back to this restaurant or something. And I was like, that's a ripoff, you know, but, but it was like, I was, it's not the last time I ever went to a restaurant, even though I had a bad experience at a restaurant, wouldn't you still go to a restaurant again? Yeah, probably a different one, but you'd still go, because it really has nothing to do with that, and for some, you've written off, you've wandered and walked away from the Lord for a reason that really doesn't, doesn't make sense, because that has nothing to do with Him. Maybe for you, you've, you've wandered away because you wondered. You wondered, is it real? Is it true? The message of the cross, like this Jesus story, like Christmas, is it really real and is it true? It's the stuff you heard as a kid in, in kids' church, but, you know, you wonder as you become an adult. You know what's really incredible is that the message of the cross, Paul wrote and said, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't really make sense, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's like you can see it in other people's lives and realize uh, there is life-changing power in what happens in that cross. And for those of you who have experienced that, the world needs to hear that because they sometimes think it doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe for you, your reason is you're too busy. You know, you got work, you got life, you got kids. It's like just a busy life. And you're in pursuit of something. But in your pursuit of life, what's the end result of it? If you get every promotion at the job that you're at, if you spend all of that time working to reach those goals, if you want to retire by the time you're 54 so you can, like, you know, freedom 54 and start your own thing, and it's like you like all of this energy, what's at the end? See, because the, the Bible would tell us too, and Jesus said it too, what does it profit a person if they gain everything in the whole world but they lose their soul? And, and he says this, he says, what would you give If in the end you got to that place and you realize, I've lost my soul, what would you trade for that? And the question really has that same answer for each and every one of us. I would would trade everything that I thought was valuable. I I would trade everything that that I lived my life for. All of that I would trade for my soul. And so he's asking you ahead of the game, saying if if your soul is what's most valuable, wouldn't it be a good idea? Wouldn't we do ourselves a huge favor to consider that? And realize how, that, how we live our lives, that, that that matters. For some, it's not just been a priority in your life. It's kind of been there, but not a priority. You, you know, you, you haven't thought about some of this stuff in a while. Life and Jesus and death and eternity. You, don't, you know, just really haven't thought about that very often, but you're thinking about it now. 
Um, this week, I went and visited a friend of mine. He's 87. Tomorrow, he'll be 88. His name is E.B. And uh, I was sitting there. I was talking to E.B. about how, you know, how do you get to 88? And he was like, oh, that's nothing. My sister-in-law, she's 95. And so then he began to tell me, we began chatting about stuff. And he's got a walker. And I was like, you know, it's good that you use the walker when you need it. He's like, oh, for sure. He said, because you just never know when you're going to need it. And then he tells me this story. And it stuck with me. He said, this um, he says, my 95-year-old sister-in-law, she's, she still lived at home uh, on her own, and she was cooking in the kitchen, and she was making brown beans, and he details everything, right? And he said a bean fell off the, off the, off the stove and fell on the, on the ground. And so she says she reached over to pick it up, and as she reached over, she wiped out. And so she was there, and she couldn't get back up, and, and she was hurt. And so she's laying there by the stove, and the beans are boiling over, and she starts yelling, and nobody comes. She starts trying to crawl and bang on the door that maybe somebody outside would hear, and nobody comes. The next morning, her son came over and found her laying there, still in that same place by the stove. And she's alive, but she was hurting. She's in pain. He's like, Mom, how long have you been here? All night, she said. And he's asking her, like, where's your medic alert bracelet? You know, the one that I've fallen and I can't get up? She had one of those. He's like, where is that? That would have called us. And she's like, it's in the drawer. She said, I felt so good that I didn't really think I needed it. And you know, it reminded me that there's so many people that live their lives feeling like everything is so good that they don't really think they need them. To me, that's tragic. It's tragic. Why would you wait, especially as one who would be a follower of Jesus, who sits in church all the time, why would you wait until everything in life falls apart before you reach out in prayer, why would, why would you wait until everything has gone wrong around you and, and wait to that point? For some, my fear is that you would wait to that point where you needed salvation and it was just, well, church was my thing in the drawer. It just really didn't matter all that much. Faith, relationship with Christ, it was just that thing in the drawer. And I would never tie church and that together because it's not about attending church. It's about relationship, that life-giving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Don't wait for that moment. He's inviting you into relationship with him. You don't have to try and fix everything up to come back. You don't have to, you don't have to even um, um, try and get anything right before. The son who was sitting in the pig pen, you know, the, the ones, the shepherds out in the field, they, they didn't go and say, oh, I got to go home and get my good clothes on. They just went. And the invitation is to you today, no matter where you find yourself in your life, as you're sitting about this, this, this moment that just kind of caught you unaware, and you're wondering about it, he's inviting you into relationship with him. All you got to do is come back. All you got to do is come back to him, not to church, to him. So what will your response be tonight? And it's not one of those things where we say, hey, we're going to call everybody to the front. Everybody bow your heads. You know, we're going to say a prayer. This is about you and him. It's about a decision like any other decision you make. This is, I am going to live my life for him. I'm going to take him up on his offer. If I can have relationship with God and I can have forgiveness from sin, God, I'll take that. What do I do next? And it's always that question of God, what do I do next? So tonight, there's different hearers here, and I would encourage you to consider your response. I can't tell you how to respond. That's a gift he gave to you. But I would challenge you to consider what your response is. And where does that that leave you in the end? And this last thought. All three weeks, we're talking about three people. Hearers. People who need to hear about Jesus in heaven, and they're around you. People who are wanderers. 
who you, you know, you've kind of been around faith, but you're not, you're not connected to your Heavenly Father right now. And the third one is this. The third one is the tellers. The tellers. You know what I love about the story of the shepherd? And we, we finished this off tonight. It was that the hearers became the tellers. And in this, this story, the rescued become the rescuers. That the shepherds, as it says, that they left, they went around, they told everyone the good news. Everyone that they knew, they went and told them. And it says people were astonished. You know, it's interesting. It doesn't say that everyone that they told believed and went running to the manger to see. Because they had that choice too. But those who had heard and those who had experienced the life that Jesus, uh, the, the truth of Jesus and realizing that the Savior, the world had arrived, they went and they told their world. They went and told. And they, that part, you know, where the rescuers, those who had become rescued became rescuers. The disciples, they went out and they went all over telling people about this man, Jesus, who rose from the dead. You have the opportunity to trust in him. And Paul, last verse tonight, wrote this to the Romans the followers of Jesus in Rome, he wrote this to them and said this, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can anybody, how can anybody be saved from, from, and find forgiveness from sin? How can anybody find that, find that salvation from the, from the judgment of God? How can they find the relationship with him unless they believe in him? And how can they ever believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So this three weeks really isn't so much about what happens tonight. I believe there's people here tonight, you don't know the Lord, and it's, it's, it's eating you up inside. And I've, that's just his voice, you know, to, just drawing on you, prompting you to find out for yourself that he's good and that he loves you and that you can have a relationship with him. But there's others here tonight that I just want to challenge you as followers of Jesus, as ones who've experienced his life and his incredible forgiveness who around you is looking for Jesus but doesn't realize they're looking for him? Who around you needs someone to show them what they can't yet see? Who, uh, who used to be here that you don't see anymore? Because there's people that, that, like we said last week, have left Kingsway and they've gone up to, to, to join other churches or they've gone to start new things for the kingdom. We love that and we bless that. But there's others who've left and they're not walking with the Lord anymore. And they've wandered for one of these reasons, but unnecessarily, you know, leaving. Who do you not see in this place tonight? Who is God putting on your heart? As you think about people like, ah, oh, man, I should invite them. I got that all the time. And guess what? I never did. I would think about, hmm, I should invite so-and-so. I should just talk to them about, about Christ. And guess what? I never did. Until a, a month ago. Something happened in my life that just made me realize it doesn't really matter. If they say no, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting him. And I just said, every time, God, I feel that prompting, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And really weird, people say yes. There's people looking. Why? Because they're looking. They're looking. They just don't know who it is that they're looking for. And it can happen anywhere. I can tell you crazy stories, but I'm sure those people are going to show up, and they're not going to want me to have told them, <laughs> told you their story. Uh, I'm going to let them tell the story, but amazing, amazing things. So who has God put on your heart to reach out to? Just ask that question. Who has he put on your heart to reach out to? Who has he put on your heart to invite? Who has he put on your heart to tell? Would you, 
Would you work with him? Would you serve with him? Would you work with us and invite somebody next week to, New Year, to Christmas Eve and invite somebody to Christmas Day to come with you? It doesn't matter if they say yes or no. Would you just invite them? No nods, no shakes. You're just thinking. That's okay. That is okay. That is my challenge for you tonight because we have a, we have a world who needs the truth of what the cross stands for. And there's people that simply are just waiting on the other side. They just don't know that they're allowed to come. <laughs> Let them know, would you? And maybe for some of you, you're like, that's your reason for coming next, time, next week. It's just simply because you're bringing somebody. And you know what? The rest we leave up into the hands of the Lord to allow his voice to speak to them. So tonight, if you're here and you want to respond and you're like, hey, you know what? I, I got to get my life right with God. I need that peace on the inside. That is more than available to you tonight. I challenge you to come talk to myself, talk to anybody around here, and just say, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about that? How do I do that? We gladly would uh, share, share that with you. Um, and today or this week as you go out, look for those opportunities. You see a face and you think, oh, man, I think God's prompting me. He's probably prompting you, and he's already working in their life. I know. I got to stop. I just, it's just there. So next Next week, let me tell you what we're doing next week. Next week, I'm going to share a few thoughts from the first week and a few thoughts from the second week. And amazingly, one plus one equals a half. It will be much shorter than these, these ones. But next week, just I encourage you, bring somebody. You just never know who's looking for Jesus, but uh, they're around us. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you for sending your son for me. You've changed my life, Lord. You really have. And uh, so much that I have to be thankful for. And there's been times where I've been ashamed of it, times where I haven't shared, and you know that. And God, I thank you for your forgiveness, even in those ways. Thank you for the incredible life that that uh, we've have the chance to experience in relationship with you that just is, ah, just breathes life on the inside and, and hope. Father, I pray that as we go from this place uh, to be your followers, to be your disciples, that we would go and take this good news to our world around us. Uh, in all the busyness of the season, I pray that you help us to keep our, our eyes and ears open to what you're leading and directing our lives in. And it's not just the pastors, it's every person in this place that you want to lead and direct. Help us to follow that this week. Uh, take one more step in this journey with you. Thank you uh, for your incredible love for us. It's in, just in your amazing name that we pray tonight. Amen. <laughs>